I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Rob Norman. I'm Andrew Norton. And this is Personal Best. Testing, testing my levels. Okay, it's 8.45 a.m. I am out front of uh, kind of a nice wine bar. As always, I was very early. I think I'm starting to get second thoughts about what we're going to do here today. I'm wearing clothes I'm okay with ruining, and everyone told me this is probably going to end with me puking. Today, we're cleaning out grease traps. All in the name of romance. Now we're talking. There's like some burrito gunk. Oh, yeah. A lot of assorted muscles and ligaments. Okay, so to understand how we got here, you first need to meet Fan. Fan is a romantic, someone who basks in what could be, but often ends up disappointed by what actually is. It's all about potential energy and sort of just swimming in that potential energy rather than actuality. Yeah, it's really fun to imagine someone being really cool and like what your life's going to be like. It's another thing to like wake up in the morning and watch them floss. Exactly. Fan is a poet. He writes and edits these short poetry collections. They're called chapbooks. When he's not writing poetry, he writes love letters. Is it possible to write something that makes someone fall in love with someone? (laughs) I've been trying to answer this question by sending people love letters my whole life. So far, it hasn't worked exactly. And this is why Fan has come to us. He wants to fall in love, but not with a person. Fan wants to become passionate about cooking. I want to discover the pleasure that other people seem to have in cooking for myself. I was always obsessed with language since I was born, you know, since I could remember. That's the thing, like, poetry was intuitive for me, and cooking has never been. Fan looks at the process of cooking as graceful choreography. The finished product is a declaration of affection. And a lot of this comes from his admiration for his mother's cooking. She makes this, like, spicy and sweet spare rib that's really amazing, very tender. Also lemon fish, sticky red bean rice cakes, and this tomato and egg dish. You serve it with rice, and it's like one of the simplest dishes, but you just add a bit of sugar, and it tastes glorious. This isn't about learning a few recipes. This is about learning to love Something that you've already written off. I think my fantasy is to make this gigantic meal. As soon as I get to the pot or the stove, I'm just like, why don't I just make the simplest thing possible? Because I will never put enough time or care enough about this activity to go for the grand slam. And so I just boil an egg. The heights of fantasy touch the sort of most reductive reality at that juncture. I can tell you how to write a really good love letter 
that's both extremely intimidating and very warm and tender. That I can teach you, should you want to learn. But when it's in the realm of cooking, I have no idea. I mean, it's funny because it seems like we're almost being tasked with making you passionate about something. And you are a person who strikes me as having no shortage of passion. Right. Just maybe to extend my passion into one more field. I don't know if that's too low stakes. That's our territory, actually. That's where we shine. Amazing. So that's why I'm here, standing outside a restaurant, ready to use an industrial strength hose to suck congealed fat out of a drain. Okay, here's my thinking. Fan is intimidated because he's made cooking into this big, magical thing. Romance is exactly what's making cooking seem unapproachable. Totally. And the unapproachability that's making it romantic. It's sort of this cycle. Today, we break that cycle. We're going to be doing the least romantic thing in a kitchen. And we're going to do it with help from my new buddy, Dimitri. My name is Dimitri. I'm the grease shop expert, so I'm doing services for more than 10 years. A grease trap, by the way, separates out the oil and food sludge at restaurants so it doesn't clog the drains. Fan is going to hate me today. So that's the grease. I'm starting to get a bit of the smell, I think. It smells like strawberry shortcake. Not what I was expecting. This has got to be the most beautiful grease trap in the city, and Dimitri keeps spraying this lovely smelling spray everywhere. That's like the spray you'd use in the bathroom. Yeah. It smells like a meadow. Things aren't working out exactly how I planned them. For one thing, Fan is having a blast. Yeah, I, I love little abject activities. Is there anything you don't find romantic? I mean, maybe if I did it myself, it would be different. Little does Fan know what I have in store for him next. Chipotle, a fast food kitchen, high traffic, full of meat products that somehow also has an immaculate kitchen? Come on! I always thought going behind the scenes at a fast food place, I'd see a bunch of stuff I couldn't unsee. Yeah, exactly. But it's just people cutting peppers. Yeah. Yeah. But then I see the grease trap. Now we're talking, there's like some burrito gunk. This is like some rice. Oh yeah, a lot of assorted muscles and ligaments. This time Fan gets in there. So Fan has the hose. He's kind of up to his elbow in the grease trap right now. Oh, it's starting to smell quite bad. Oh yeah, it smells like, it smells very farty. How's it feeling Fan? It's fun. It feels like I'm doing a task, you know? You're killing me here, Fan. I mean, this guy can even find poetry in a field trip to empty grease traps. Oh, it was fun. I think there's something really interesting to the cycle of it. How the grease comes from these city industrial areas and goes out into farms and then is converted back. So this did nothing to poke holes in the romance around cooking? No, no. It's obvious Fan can romanticize any situation. And it's now very clear I'm not going to change that. I used to think romance and passion were the same thing, but it seems like romance is liking the idea of something, where passion is having the drive to actually do it. And it seems like the only thing that Fan is passionate about is romanticizing things. I think of passion as something kind of magical. You can't explain it or control it. Your hobbies, your interests, the things that you like, you like them because that's who you are. It's something you're born with. Well, this is great because you're demonstrating precisely what we're finding in our research, that people hold different beliefs about what an interest or a passion is. So what you're expressing to me now is what we would call a fixed theory or a fixed mindset of passion. This is Paul O'Keefe, assistant professor of psychology at Yale NUS College. So people with a fixed theory of interest, they believe their core interests are inherent and relatively fixed. 
So from that expectation, it should come with tons of motivation. And it should make pursuing that passion relatively easy. This is a very different expectation than someone with a growth mindset. A growth mindset is exactly what it sounds like. And this is the idea that one's core interests can be developed. So it's a process. And how you think about passion actually changes your relationship with it. Exactly. Paul and his colleagues found if you believe the growth theory, you're more likely to pursue a new passion outside of your expertise. And when you do try something new, you'll be less likely to quit when things get challenging. I feel like this is almost like what you're describing is people's approach to falling in love. You're absolutely right. People think about their passions in the same way that they think about romantic passion. You could think, all I need to do is find the one. Like, it's just going to be a perfect fit. We won't fight. We won't have any disagreements. But if you believe the growth theory of romantic love, it doesn't have to strike you like a lightning bolt. It's something you build little by little. I think our culture puts a lot of pressure on us to find our passion and to follow that passion when perhaps we should be encouraging people to develop their passions. So basically, we're marriage counselors. We know there's a spark between our favorite poet and cooking. We just need to foster the glowing embers of love. Or pour some gasoline on the fire. favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Our job this episode is to help Fan, a poet who yearns to want to cook. But if we're going to get him cooking, we need to speak a language he already understands. So I'd say poetry is happening every moment that I'm awake. I'm just not always aware of it running in the background. Phoebe Wang is an award-winning poet, and she's no stranger to passion. Because we only desire something that is missing within us. That means that to be human is to desire, which is a really interesting concept, I think. Oh yeah, Fan is going to love wherever this is going. So I have this vision. It's a cookbook full of Fan's mother's recipes. But there's no boring measurements, no tedious instructions, just a bunch of no-holds-barred, mind-melting, unadulterated poetic verse. Luckily, Phoebe has experience dealing with poets of my caliber. I've seen fifth graders do this and third graders do it. I've heard some of your other episodes and those seem a lot more challenging. So first things first, avoid cliches. Yes, yeah, because you want to always surprise people. So if you're gonna use a cliche in the middle of it, stop the cliche and say like, psych, and then do something different. Yeah. I, I might not be great, a great poet, but like I do know pranks. Mm -hmm. and it sounds like what you're describing is they're kind of similar. Yes. 
We start by simply describing some of the recipes. Like, what does this look like to you? An omelet. Oh, you mean like beyond yeah, the omelet? Yeah. Mm. Or what does the texture look like to you? Bumpy. Bumpy. Yeah, mm -hmm. great. Kind of feels like you're eating a booger. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. So the poem you would write about, that would be like a feeling of overcoming disgust. Okay. The one I'm really stuck on is the ribs. I mean, it's just a slab of meat. How do you inspire someone with just a slab of meat? Oh, this one's the easiest, man. Are you kidding me? It really is like a dish that accompanies other dishes so well. It's basically like that guy at the party who just does the job of like having conversation with everybody. The ribs is Gary, my friend Gary. Yeah, so write about your friend Gary. Uh -huh. You know, maybe you could write this poem through your own memory and have fan connect to those memories as well. To make this even cooler, Phoebe has agreed to write some of her own recipes turned into poems. A few days later, I have it all bound into a nice little chapbook, and I present it to Fan back at the CBC building. Without With, Recipes for Fan, a chapbook by Phoebe Wang and Rob Norman. Wow, this is really emotional. The book has two takes on each recipe, a with and a without. Yeah, they're kind of like free jazz recipes or something. It's clear my voice, although new to the Canadian poetry scene, is making some serious inroads. I love deriving, I guess, practicality from the abstract. There's passion in this writing. Fan gets right into the book. He begins with a poem inspired by a glass noodle fusion stir-fry. With sadness. Imagine everyone you ever loved, dead, their blood transmogrified into broken glass shards. But wait, they're not dead. It's not sad anymore. Everyone is alive and really enjoying the dinner you made. Cover and cook for two minutes. Sorry, this one here's a recipe. This is a recipe? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you can sort of draw a recipe from the words, but it's not something as rigid as a set of instructions, for example. Okay. As the book progresses, it's clear there's a synergy between Phoebe's poetry and my own work. It's almost impossible to tell who wrote what. Without obedience, I give you permission not to get it right the first time, to be underdone as if you fear the... With animosity. Look at me, you coward. I'm a bumpy garbage dump of soggy primordial boogers, slug skin... Nothing to celebrate tonight. Another evening slides down your throat, slightly wilted. Another mouthful of rice. Another gobble... Trust me, you want a friend like Gary. AKA your trusted friend, AKA the Gary everyone likes, the Gary that lends you golden eye on Nintendo 64. He's the real deal, that Gary. But surprise, there is no Gary. I was talking about sweet and sticky ribs. There is no Gary. That's fascinating. These recipes have no ingredients or cooking times. You've never been amused before, so you don't know how it works. But as Fan walks into the personal best test kitchen, I know he has all the inspiration he needs. I'm trying to figure out which recipe to cook. Rob and I wait outside while Fan eagerly translates the recipes. Okay, so I think I'm going to try the fish. Definitely never made fish before. I'm being given permission by the poem not to get it right the first time, um, even to undercook the fish. Cook on stovetop medium heat. That's the direct action of the recipe. But the emotion of the recipe is the bitter years of not measuring up. 
then I should squeeze every inch of acid into this piece of fish. So the fish is not pink on the inside, and that's something. I think I'm finished. We walk into the kitchen and see two pale fillets lying limp in a pan. I also added some hot pepper because there was a certain kind of anger in the second poem. There's quartered raw scotch bonnet peppers sprinkled on top of the tilapia. And something doesn't quite look right about it. Do you know how to tell if fish is uh, cooked or not? Uh, no, not scientifically. But in the spirit of trying new things, Rob and I dig in. It's pretty fishy. Um, that's not bad. That's good. I feel that I didn't extract the other flavors. Ooh. Oh. Hit a spicy pepper? I just pepper. ate a whole hot pepper. <clears throat> Woo! Aside from hellish mouth heat, I think Fan did okay. I mean, he's cooking. That's a big step. Probably the most I've cooked ever. Yeah. Mm. I feel like the possibility of me being a cook is dawning. But I'm not yet a cook. Fan has received a letter. No return address. It's sealed with wax. My dearest Fan, your desire for me is well documented, and I must admit I have grown fond of your attention. But while you've been clumsily pondering how you might stoke your passion for me, you never stop to consider whether I hold any desire for you. The letter is tea-stained brown, and the edges are burnt. The same technique you might use for a project on pirates in the fifth grade. But I assure you, it looks that way because it's very romantic. To woo me, you'll need to commit your full heart to me. Demonstrate your worth and seduce me with something more than a half-cooked flavorless fish. If I mean that much to you, if anything at all, then you'll respond to livingembodimentofcooking at gmail.com. Lovingly, perhaps, cooking. My dearest living embodiment, your words are as bitter as they are sweet. Your proposal for seduction frankly terrifies me, but I shall answer to the call of your game. Yours in trial and error and error. Fan. My dearest Fan, I've long suspected you're a devilish romantic. I've arranged a series of tasks to prove your desire for me and stoke the flames of your interest. The first lies before you on this very day. Suddenly, Fan's doorbell rings. You will greet a package this morning for 11 a.m. I beg you, read its contents carefully, for our very future depends on it. Wow, it's a, a lovely wooden box. It's a, a collection of spices. Perhaps even a few sprigs of herb. Oh, that's so nice. There's a stack of his mom's recipes. Real recipes this time. And a handmade zine of cooking tips. You know, like how to tell when a fish is cooked. Oh, this is nice. So it's aiming to repair maybe some mistakes I've made in the past. A little technique and a lot of spirit. The next day, a wordless message from Fan. Just a photo of him holding a plate of tomato and egg stir-fry? 
Fan is sexting with the living embodiment of cooking. Fan? You wild thing! Flung from whatever local bacchanal that could not contain your devilish appetites! You tease me with a fantasy. My retort is more sensual than a few words scribbled across the page. Meet me at the lobby of the Fairmont Hotel at dusk. Plan for a more corporeal encounter. Fan arrives for his discreet rendezvous at the luxurious Fairmont. It's a tryst he won't soon forget. Because in the basement of this hotel is a Benihana's. Whoa! That's on fire. Whoa. Japanese teppanyaki at its most excellent. A corporeal experience was promised, and it will be delivered. If this doesn't spark passion in cooking, then I'm sorry. Wow, that's beautiful. My darling fan, I must say many suitors have volunteered to go to my interest, but none with such provocation and zeal as you, my love. Forgive me, but this next trial of the heart is the only salve to my scorn, and the most righteous way to prove your intentions are, in fact, true and noble. Bon chance, mon amour. Fan arrives at a trendy Iranian restaurant. We've managed to get him a job interview for the kitchen. He walks into the back room, where the owner is waiting for him. Hi. I'm Fan. Fan, hi. Nice to meet you. If he really is chef material, then this should be a breeze. What's your availability? You're pretty open? I'm pretty open, yeah. Except we may have exaggerated some of his credentials. It says you worked for a Michelin star kitchen. What what chef were you working for? Um, So I, I worked for a bit in China itself, in Beijing. I didn't know there was a Michelin star kitchen in Beijing. In Beijing? Mm. No, I, I mean, I, the restaurant said that they had a Michelin star. I don't know how much of that was true or... This is your resume, yeah? C- could I take a look, actually? I wonder if I gave you the latest uh, version. This is just something I do for most interviews for people who are coming into work in the kitchen. Um, if you could name eight different types of mushroom for me. Eight types of mushroom. Yeah, and don't say button. Um, uh, oyster mm-hmm. mushrooms. Um, chanterelles. Um, does, does psilocybin mushrooms count? No. No. Magic mushrooms don't count. In that case, she's really not going to like the accreditation section. And your professional associations are listed as the International Association of Deliciousness? Are you being funny or...? Yeah, I guess that's sort of an end joke for the resume. Okay, I mean, I have like 12 more people to interview today, so I, I don't know if I'll give you a call back, to be honest. He didn't get the job, but fans got someone more important he wants to impress. Do you think the living embodiment of cooking will appreciate what you've done here today? I think he, she, or they will appreciate what I've done here. Because who doesn't love a lover who lies and can just lie through their teeth? for half an hour. That's love, right? Fan receives one more letter, telling him to meet at the CBC when the clock strikes three. Be ready, my love, for all possibilities. Cooking. It's three o'clock, actually almost four. We forgot to confirm the time. But eventually, Fan arrives. He has no idea what he's up to today. We walk through the big, open lobby. Suddenly, on the second floor balcony, Fan spots something. Oh my god. Or someone. It's none other than the living embodiment of cooking. A ghastly, faceless figure gives a little wave. One reserved for lovers, destined to never meet. Yoo-hoo! 
Cooking is wearing a monk-like robe, long white gloves, and a wedding veil. Hello. I've dabbled in you. I'm eager to taste more of what you got. Fan takes a knee. I could love you one day. His voice doesn't reach. He says it again, louder. I could love you. But the living embodiment is elusive. They're running away. They're running away. They dart off. We should go. We should go get them. Okay. Come on. Come on. Let's go, Fan. Fan tracks the avatar to the stairwell. This way? Yeah. Stairs. Up one flight. <sighs> then another. Oh my gosh. And some more. <sighs> Fan loses their trail on the sixth floor. Or maybe not. I see um, a bed of rose petals sprinkled on the CBC hallway. The petals wind their way into a kitchen. Oh my god. I feel very ready for this. On the kitchen counter sits one final letter. Fan, you have but one glorious dish to reveal your passion. Show me your craft that has been so skillfully cultivated and honed with reckless desire. You'll have but an hour to prepare your meal before you stand before your judge. If this is the last time we correspond, understand, I love you. It is hard to remember a life before there was egg egg upon upon your spatula and and sweet words words upon upon my ears. ears. XO cooking. I think this is a trial, and a trial by fire. On the table are two recipes. One is the tomato and egg stir-fry, the one he practiced this week. The other, the dreaded lemon fish. He has to choose one. I think I'm going to surprise cooking. I don't even think I'll tell you. Whatever he's making, it seems like he knows what he's doing. So what I'm going to do is... I'm going to do all the cutting first, which is something I've learned is a great thing to do. He's confident. I feel significantly less lost. Maybe he hasn't mastered the culinary arts, but confident. Zest. You know, I've never made zest before, but I bet I can. Time's almost up, and Fan is placing some of the final garnishes. Just a tiny sprig of parsley. Cute, right? Fan covers his dish, and we head to judge's table. Want to take one last deep breath before you go in? Nope. Fan enters a dark room. In the center is a single table lit only by candles. A flash of light reveals... Oh my god. ...the last person Fan wants judging his food. Her proper name is Bin Yu. His mom. Well, I'm terrified right now. He puts the plate in front of her and removes the silver cloche. There's two dishes. Fan has prepared both the eggs and the fish. There's two flaky tilapia fillets, dusted with spices with a deep golden brown sear on both sides. They're topped with a rich garlic butter sauce and two cute sprigs of parsley. Yeah, I taste the lemon. Good. Then the tomato and egg dish. The eggs are vibrant yellow and fluffy. Slices of bright red tomato pop off the plate. She takes a bite. It's very tense. If I cook, I will add more salt and uh, sugar. Mm. A little bit more. I will give like uh, 85. 85 out of 100? Yeah. That's pretty good. Is that honest? Yeah. It's really good. If this episode was about Fan impressing his mother, we'd be done now. But he's got unfinished business. Ben reaches beneath the table and hands her son a single rose. Oh. He knows exactly who it's for. I have to go find the living embodiment of cooking. 
In the CBC hallway, people are packing up for the day. Fan searches frantically until he sees them just behind some cubicles. There they are, a gloved hand peeking out from behind a curtain. I see it trying to reach out for something, something that it lacks. I place the rose into its palm. It examines the rose. The hand ducks behind the curtain. I think I consummated my love for cooking. And then the hand reemerges. It's beckoning me to peek behind the veil. Fan rips open the curtains, but it's not what he was expecting. Whatever he, she, or it was is gone, and not but the trace of its fineries lies on the ground. A rose sits on an empty robe, like they were never there. I should mention here that this is where our plan ends. We wrote all these letters and thought maybe it would be fitting to have cooking just sort of disappear. And Fan would be like, oh, that's kind of fun. But Fan, the poet, knows exactly what it all means. I think cooking is in me now. I am cooking. We are one. Does that mean you don the rope? It does mean I don the robe. Give me a sec. Before I know it, standing in front of me, both Fan and the living embodiment of cooking in one. Absolutely. I feel like it's my wedding day. We soon find ourselves on the top balcony of the CBC atrium. It's busy with CBC employees leaving for the day. Fan is adorned with both robe and veil. Overcome with passion, Fan suddenly yells, I am Fan! I am cooking! Can I throw the rose down? Maybe not, I wouldn't. We're very high up. Yeah, the yelling was probably enough. Right, that's what I thought. Yeah. It really was an ecstatic moment. I had never heard a voice like that come out of me before. After a week-long honeymoon, we invite Fan back into the studio. How would you sum up the last couple weeks? I would say that it's torn a bit of a hole in the fabric of my reality. Right, maybe things got a little weird there. But the real question is, is he cooking? I plan to cook. So just to clarify, yeah. no. I haven't... No. No. <laughs> There's no way around this. But what about all the love letters and the yelling off the balcony? Plus, I'm positive I saw a change in him from that first time cooking to that last time when he cooked for his mom. I would say that, yeah, there's more, there's more spiritualism to cooking now because it feels like there's some investment of a part of my soul into the dish. So I can see the, the potential for it better than I did before. Did you learn anything about the nature of passion through this? I would say that it's, it's wrong to think that it's impossible to cultivate passion. Passion is the tickle of pleasure that rhymes with monogamy. The tickle of pleasure that rhymes with monogamy? Yes. Mahogany? I mean, figuratively rhymes with. Like, rhymes with the concept of monogamy. Rob, not all poems are just riddles. Okay. I'm Rob Norman, and you just heard a podcast called Personal Best. Andrew Norton produces the show. Jess Shane is our associate producer. We received production help this episode from Ellen Payne-Smith, B. San Safi, and Cecil Fernandez. 
Our music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Arif Narani is the executive producer of CBC Podcasts. The living embodiment of cooking is all things at all times everywhere, but in this episode, she was voiced by Joanna Neary. Also thanks to Samir Moedin at Banu Restaurant. Paul O'Keefe, our passion expert, wanted to make sure we mentioned his very smart co-authors, Carol Dweck and Greg Walton at Stanford. Great job, everybody. Keep it up. Would you like to be haunted by a Quiznal spirit? Then email us at thelivingembodimentofcooking at cbc.ca. You can follow us on Twitter at CBC Personal Best. Our website is cbc.ca slash personalbest. Personal Best is a CBC podcast. If you're looking for another CBC podcast, check out Play Me. If you're like me, you probably dropped out of theater school to pursue your real passion of printmaking and lithography, but I bet you're regretting it right now and wondering what Canadian theater makers are up to these days. Well, dear listener, the podcast Play Me has you covered. Each week they take a real theater production and turn it into a play, but for your ears. You can subscribe to Play Me wherever you find your other favorite podcasts. And trust me, it's way better than going to theater school. Goodbye. For more CBC Original Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash originalpodcasts.